say everything's bigger in Texas, including climate change. That's why Houston is leading the energy transition. Here in H-Town, the fourth largest city in the United States, entrepreneurs from across Texas and around the world are gathering to work with titans of industry to build the technology that will reduce emissions and power a low carbon future. We sit down with those change makers and wildcatters who are solving the toughest energy challenges. With trillions of dollars on the line, we dig into how Houston will bring technology to market on a massive scale. Join us as we talk with the leaders of the energy capital of the world as they show us how the energy transition gets done. I'm Lara Cottingham, and this is the Energy Technology Podcast. And I'm Jason Etier. Let's jump in. Welcome back to the show. I'm here today with the, the Nanotech Company. We got Mike Francis and Carrie Horzek with us. Um, I'm very excited about them. I've, I've been seeing them all across the Houston ecosystem. When there's a pitch, you will see the, the Nanotech Company. Um, they're a material sciences uh, startup born and raised here in Houston, and they're bringing climate resilient materials to market. Uh, Nanotech's vision is for a safer, more resilient world through breakthrough materials. So let's dig a little bit more into that, Mike. Yeah, yeah, Pre- appreciate you. Appreciate you having us. Um, yeah. yeah, we're definitely a Houston store. You know, Houston startup, Houston story. So we started out of a garage here mm-hmm. in Spring, Texas. Um, you know, we have this amazing technology, but the roots of it were really just, I mean, in a garage with a couple, you know, a couple of the founders mm-hmm. doing their thing. So the, you know, the very first bucket that we sold to NASA mm-hmm. was blended out of our old beer tanks. Um, you know, there's lots of white powder that we were manufacturing. So there's powder going everywhere. Um, you know, we were, we were trying to just get it done by, you know, crushing it with our, you know, Ford F-150s, blending it in old Target blenders, you know, just a true startup story, getting mm-hmm. it done. And now we are, you know, fully scaled up. Mm-hmm. You know, we're part of Halliburton Labs, uh, Clean Energy Accelerator. We have a, you know, footprint there. And we have a real passion for the climate space. Mm-hmm. So there's two big areas that we're focused on. One is the fireproofing market, um, specifically within fire-prone areas like California, mm-hmm. Colorado, et cetera. Um, our material's amazing. So we have a particle which can be added into lots of different building materials and resins to make things fireproof. So we'll fireproof to about 1800 degrees Celsius. Um, it's no, you know, no volatile organic compounds and it will not only, you know, save lives, but it actually protects the infrastructure as well. So as long as it stays below that 1800 degrees Celsius, it'll just continue to last. Um, So we're very passionate about that. And then the second market that we're going into is our beachhead market, and that's the green building space. So the green building space, you know, requires, you know, a lot of innovation because buildings are one of the top contributors to CO2 emissions, Um, you know, specifically HVAC systems, Hmm. you know, they contribute quite a bit to the emissions. Um, And so we've developed, we've taken our fireproofing technology and created a roof coating. Hmm. And so the roof coating will actually stop the uh, heat penetration going, you know, from the ambient into the building, which significantly drops um, HVAC consumption as well as CO2 emissions. So we're seeing anywhere between a 35 and 40 percent mm-hmm. drop in the energy use, which in turn drops the HVAC consumption. Mm-hmm. And we do it in a way that nobody else has. So it's... Yeah. Um, it's a true step change in this kind of green building technology specifically for roofing. So is this a, like a thermal barrier or is this not even that? <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, we've developed a actual roof coating. So, okay. it, so it'll remediate the roof um, and, you know, seal the leaks. Hmm. 
but it works through two key properties. Mm. One, it has what's called emissivity. Mm. So it's absorbing and emitting the heat away. Mm. And we're the only coating that actually has a perfect emissivity. Mm. So that alone is pretty cool. Um, but we also have what's called low thermal conductivity. That's just the resistance mm -hmm. of heat mm -hmm. through the thickness of coating. And we have a, we're less thermally conductive than what NASA uses on their reentry programs. Gotcha. So almost no heat penetrates mm. from the, the roof, which is where a lot of the energy loss happens. So we can significantly reduce energy consumption. And we're starting with the roof, and then we have a plan to kind of own that entire green building mm. space. It's funny. I, I'm going to embarrass myself. So I, I built a house here in Houston, um, gosh, a year ago now. And I was talking with one of these clean tech on um, investors, and we were kind of bantering about you know what you do for it. And he goes, "So when you were building your house, you you got the best like R40 or whatever resistive coating, and you made sure they sealed all the joints." And I went, "Man, I wish I had thought about that." But I was just so worried about getting like the the payments lined up and the contractors to show up. But it, but it, you know, that's where a lot of the, the that decision making happens, right? Is uh, um, getting it, getting these new materials in as the building gets built, right? I think I heard somewhere it's like uh, two thirds of carbon emissions are get defined, right, when the building is, is is constructed. In terms of do we have the good insulation? Are we are pouring concrete that has a lot of carbon emissions with it? Do you find that you're targeting that that beginning of life, or is it more of like a, a retrofit for what you're doing? Yeah, so I think. We decided to get into the green building space because mm. of that data point mm. from the EPA that 40% of all okay. U.S. CO2 emissions come from the demand for heating and cooling in buildings. Mm. So where we kind of play in that climate resiliency space, to Mike's point, is, you know, we, we play on kind of the, the short end, which is the acute, you know, fireproofing, mm. like there's, there's extreme weather events happening right now, all the way up to the long-term end, which is how can we help reduce carbon emissions long-term? Uh, as we're looking into that kind of 2030, 2050 space. And the number one place that you can do that is within buildings. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, we're targeting the remediation market for a couple of reasons. One, older buildings tend to be less energy mm. efficient, right? So where can we ha you know, kind, of, kind of make the most impact the quickest by kind of going into some of those older infrastructures um, and really helping to create energy efficiency uh, within them? Mm -hmm. So it goes on a, an existing roof, usually five plus years old, uh, it's very easy to apply. It takes a couple of days. It's designed to completely remediate that roof. So it is a full waterproofing hmm. system. Uh, but where the breakthrough technology comes in is its ability to significantly cut down on those um, on those energy uh, savings, right? You know, so we kind of call it sustainability hmm. with a return. You know, so you can actually reduce your costs while simultaneously demonstrating progress on curbing your scope one emissions, which is a really big light bulb moment in this hmm. particular hmm. market where you have so many uh, commercial property owners in particular going, oh my goodness, I just came out with, you know, all of these sustainability commitments. I'm trying to hit a net zero target. I'm trying to, you know, demonstrate that I'm cutting down on my scope one in particular, but simultaneously the market's a little tight. I got to be tightening the belt. I got to be trying to save money. It's very rare to find a technology that can actually do both, mm -hmm. especially in the green space, because you're usually talking about adding green premiums. We're actually talking about a cost reduction while still uh, enabling some of those green services, which is which is pretty cool. So I don't even know why I'm here. Should, should, <laughs> should, should I just step out? Carrie, I don't think we actually gave you a chance to yeah. introduce yourself and your role. Yeah. No worries. Yeah, my name's Carrie. Uh, I'm the chief commercial officer uh, for Nanotech. Mm -hmm. I've been with the company now for a, a couple of months. I was really inspired by mm -hmm. the 
the the climate story and and um, the the kind of garage to greatness mm-hmm. uh, story that nanotech had and um, and and really just the impact because I think what what nanotech ultimately engineers is a particle it can go in a lot of different things right you know so I joined the company right at the time when we were thinking about okay we we've got this really cool shiny mm-hmm. thing now how do we turn it into you know, a market and a series of markets that can actually make the biggest impact, mm-hmm. which is the best time to join a startup because that's when you really start thinking about we've got the thing. Now, what do we go do with the thing that can that can you know really really make impact? So that's that's it's been an incredible journey. It's the most fun part it always. Is. <laughs> it is. And so, uh, so I, I love your story for a number of reasons because it's it's tackling big challenges around just climate generally, right? Like improving um, both resilience, the fire aspect. And also uh, improving our energy consumption. I also love the, like the story of like you're the quintessential starting in a garage uh, company. I think I do recall seeing a video of of the fireproof technology, and I keep thinking to myself, why would you start this in Houston? It's so hot to test. <laughs> right? there's, there's definitely no HVAC in your garage, right? Like, was this a winter only project for a while? Or? Oh man, it was it was absolutely miserable. So yeah. I mean, we started it in you know right in the summer of 2020. Mm. Um, and I have old pictures of myself just drenched in sweat because we, you know, you have dust going everywhere. So you have to wear a face mask. Um, you know, it was a lot of fun though. You, you know, we had, um, you know, it was basically just three of us in the garage, mm-hmm. just kind of tinkering. Um, and some of the best memories, you know, some of the best memories I've ever had are from that garage, mm-hmm. but we are so grateful to have a fully air conditioned facility <laughs> that we <Yes>. can, <laughs> that we can produce out of now. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's a battery company right up the street here in Britmore and they, they just started building out a factory and I don't think they installed HVAC and I don't think they're from around here and, and I hope they know what they're signing up for. Oh, it's, but, it was horrible. Uh, yeah. It was horrible, but so many good memories. And that's, you know, the, the culture of a startup really yep. starts in the garage and, yeah. you know, as you grow and grow, that's, you know, one of the things that always kind of keeps me up at night is like, how, how do you maintain that culture? Mm-hmm. Cause we want people that, care right we want people that are you know all aboard for this climate resilient you know Mm -hmm. not just in it to make a you know a bunch of money we're in it to really make an impact and put our fingerprint on the world yeah i do have to say that that culture as we have scaled Mm -hmm. has definitely been retained so if you ever come on site to our facility you'll see this kind of fully ramped up production line on one side and then on the other side is our r&d lab where we still very much do that we're like well let's set this on fire and see if how long it takes to burn, you know, and like, like let's, you know, and, and there's, we, we do a lot of those kind of grassroots videos still yeah. just to kind of illustrate we're data driven, you know, the power of the technology, but we want to always show it in a real world context and say, you know, okay, if there's a wildfire over here, or if, you know, we're trying to understand how much we can cut down the temperature here, you know, we'll just do it. We'll build a house mm-hmm. and just show you, you know, and, and I've, I've, I just love that kind of gritty aspect of the culture that we've been able to retain as we get bigger. How big are you guys now? Yeah. Yeah, we have, um, I guess, about 15 people okay. now, um, and we're, we've, you know, we're, we're venture capital backed. Mm-hmm. Um, we're closing our next round of funding oh, um, to get to the next level of scale. So we have our full production train uh, going so we can cover about 55 million square feet of roofing all in-house. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to, you know, double that in a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, because our particle is a platform, it's not just a coating. It can be embedded into paints, polymers, silicones. When we embed it into cement, it makes the cement about 10 times more insulating. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have projects that range across all the different resins and whatnot. Um, but it's really important for us to be laser focused. So we're starting with the roof and then we're going to dominate, you know, the green building space. Yeah. 
because the particle is the technology. Yeah. You know, and so eventually, you know, I see long after I'm not here, you know, I eventually see a world where um, it's incorporated into many of the building materials of the future to make a almost like a um, a, a moonshot of this is what mm. the green building of the future looks like. And we can touch all aspects of it, which is really exciting yeah. to be a part of. And like this is such a Houston story because this is the town where you would do particles and chemicals <sighs> and, and, and things like that. Tell tell me, like, so where does this come from? So you started it like in the midst of COVID, right? Like there was a decision there that I'm always interested in. But also the the technology didn't fall out of the sky. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so so you know I you know one percent of the world is genius, right? Um, the genius that often get discovered are within you know first world countries. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know the spotlight typically gets placed on those genius, and they're very easy to be discovered. Um, it's a little more difficult to discover the genius in different third world countries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have this brilliant, brilliant chief scientist. He's, you know, 30 years uh, material scientist and he's based in Brazil or he he was based in Brazil. And we stumbled upon a video of him coating his hand in what is now nano shield. Mm. And he, we never do this anymore because we're very, (laughs) Very we're we're a very safe, (laughs) we're a very safe company, very safe. (laughs) But he took an oxy torch mm. and put it to his hand for about ten minutes, wow. and nothing happened. That's that's amazing. So when I saw that, mm. you know, this is my fourth company that I've started, and when I saw that, um, I said, "I'm going to quit what I'm doing." Uh, one of our partners, um, who who's also a co-founder, said, "I'm going to quit what I'm doing," and our scientists, our now chief scientist, said, "Okay, I believe in you guys." Mm-hmm. Um, he's brilliant when it comes to material science, but he's not really great at running, you know, businesses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was just a perfect combination, you know, where we, he cranks out IP, we give mm-hmm. him pizza boxes underneath the lab door. <laughs> and then, you know, we focus on running the business and it's, it's worked out great. Um, the collision between what's happening or the convergence of what's happening in the world where everyone's trying mm-hmm. to reduce their CO2 emissions and have that resiliency component. Plus the physical material Mm -hmm. that are coming out, it couldn't have been time perfect, you know, more perfect. Mm -hmm. And he's truly a genius. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So he's a genius. And we've just rallied around him to build our IP portfolio around Mm -hmm. him and just make sure that we're good stewards of what he's come up Mm -hmm. with and that we don't screw it up. Yeah, I I do like that image of pizza goes in like molecules. Brilliant. (laughs) Right, like that's like literally. Pizza to molecules. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's good. And and when we think about Houston, like obviously you did it in Houston because you you're in Houston. But when you think about um, just skipping ahead a little bit, um, like where do you see Houston playing strengths in, in terms of the commercialization of your technology? Yeah, so I'll I'll take the Houston question because I'm so passionate about Houston. Um, when I first became an entrepreneur in 2014, you know there was maybe a couple hundred million dollars of venture capital money coming in. You know, there was no such thing as the Canon. There was no such thing as the mm-hmm. Ion, no such thing as Greentown Labs, no mm-hmm. such thing as all these, you know, CVCs investing in climate. Um, and the transformation that Houston has seen just mm-hmm. over the last, you know, eight years has been stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think last year they ha- Houston had a couple billion dollars in venture capital funding in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. And it just keeps on growing and growing and growing. So if you look at Houston, we have the universities, right? So you have Texas A&M, Rice University, Mm -hmm. University of Houston that are all investing in entrepreneurship. 
You have the Fortune 500s that are now, you know, taking bets on startups. You have the CVCs that are forming within all of the big oil and gas companies. And Houston is a city that gets stuff done. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, when Harvey came through, you know, we were ready with a hammer and we, you know, we fixed everything as as fast as possible when um, we're we're not like going to make the next app, you know, we're not going to make the next necessarily AI thing, Mm -hmm. but we are really good at getting stuff done from an engineering standpoint. And I think the talent combined with the universities, combined with the Fortune 500s, combined with all of the money coming in is going to make Houston a top five startup city within the next couple of years. I really, really, really think it's going to happen. Um, and we see it happening and unfolding right before our eyes. Yeah, yeah it's an amazing time to be here. We're going to make fun of Carrie a little bit because she's, she's not in Houston proper. Although I, I, I live half my life here right now. So I'm basically half Houstonian at this point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I, I, I do want to build on that question, though, because I, I've I've been in this game for a minute now. Um, and I, I, you know, I. I've seen the entrepreneurial communities in a couple of different cities around the country and they all have a unique flavor. Um, I keep coming back to Houston for that similar vibe. Mm. Um, I've never found a community before that is so willing to help each other Mm kind of no matter what state your own startup Mm -hmm. is in, you know, (laughs) like, so, so it's so incredible to kind of go around uh, Houston to some of the, you know, just the, the entrepreneurial events and see, there's so many founders that I know, so many, you know, so many VCs, so many strategics that are, you know, whether whether they're actively investing in you or not, like they genuinely care mm. about you succeeding and and they will they will remember you, you know, mm. they'll remember you years later and they'll they'll ask you how you're doing and can I introduce you to this person? Can I help you with this? It's just such an incredibly uplifting community. And I think for startup life in general, you know, startups can be awesome. They can also be really hard sometimes, you know? And so to have that community that's always there to kind of catch you when you fall and lift you up when you're doing great, it's, it, it can make or break the day to day, you know, of of doing, of doing startup life. And, and you're, you were in Austin before I'm trying to remember. Uh, yeah, I am. Yeah. Other, other, also a really great entrepreneurial community. I think, yeah, that, and what keeps driving me back to Houston is, is, is really just that, that energy focus, you know, yeah. and Houston itself is kind of going from this energy capital of the world to also being the energy transition capital of the world. And yeah. I think it's really bringing up the startup community in in that larger transition, mm. which has been incredible. And Mike, when you think about like the, the the manufacturing of like hydrocarbons here, does that play into like how you think about scaling up uh, NanoShield or is it you're just going to do it all in house? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we, so we're very protective of our yeah, IP. Of course. Um, you know, we do have, you know, patents on the things that we're doing. Um, but we want to, like, our number one focus is to get really good at manufacturing mm-hmm. our particle at scale. And then we do that all in-house currently. But as demand increases, um, you know, that's one of the great things about being on the Halliburton campus mm-hmm. So we have a we have a you know a fifteen thousand square foot facility right on the campus that we've hmm. completely maxed out. Oh wow! And what's really cool is we've taken it from you know a beer tank, which was mm-hmm. you know where we started in you know very small ten gallon beer tank, to now being able to produce fifty five million gallons a year. What has really helped us is the fact that you know Halliburton knows how to scale things from zero to you know big production. Mm-hmm. And so they've helped us kind of along all along the way, going from beer tank to now fully at scale. And if if that model could be replicated in other companies, I think the scaling part of startups is the really oh, yeah. difficult part. Oh, yeah. 
So you can have a great technology, but unless you have really good team and a really good, uh, you know, ability to take it from a technology mm -hmm. to a product and then figure out that technical commercial envelope and start making cash flow, you'll never have a company. Yeah. You just yeah. have a technology. And so the scaling piece of going from tech to company is really, I think, what's going to help Houston be put on the map more than other cities. Okay. Let's make a little commercial for Halliburton Labs right now. So you're a serial entrepreneur, right? And you kind of know how, how to build businesses, but you also made the choice to join a corporate accelerator. And uh, tell me about how that, was, that experience was different and, and why you decided to go with, uh, go with Halliburton Labs. Yeah, so I, um, prior, to, prior to being an entrepreneur, um, I worked in the oil and gas space. So I worked for NOV, mm -hmm. National Oil of Arco, and then I worked for Halliburton. Um, and so I made some connections within the Halliburton ecosystem and, you know, stayed in contact. They were actually the first organization mm -hmm. that hired my first company. Mm -hmm. um, all four of my startups at one point or another have either worked with or, um, you know, been a part of Halliburton in some way. Mm -hmm. So I would probably not be an entrepreneur mm -hmm. had it not been for, you know, Halliburton's support. Um, I got a call from the former chief technology officer of Halliburton. And he said, hey, you know, we're, we're creating this new program. It's going to be a clean energy accelerator. We're going to help you scale from technology to company. And I didn't believe him, right? I was like, <laughs> no, come on. You guys are Halliburton. You're not going to do that. And so I, initially I told him no. Mm -hmm. um, and then he called me back. He's like, look, we're, you know, Jeff Miller, who's the CEO mm -hmm. of Halliburton, he's going to be spending quite a bit of time. And, you know, we're going to be reporting directly to the CEO and we're going to be, this is not greenwashing. We're doing mm -hmm. this, mm -hmm. you know, to be serious about the energy transition. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, let's, let's make a deal. And yeah, so that, that was, we were their first startup part mm -hmm. of the organization. Um, there was a lot of trust that was already built because mm -hmm. of my previous relationship with them. Um, and we were kind of by ourselves for the first six months. And I think now they have over 30 companies mm -hmm. in their portfolio mm -hmm that they've been helping scale and they're all kind of in that green space. Hmm. So it's been, it's been outstanding because it's not, you know, how do you make a business plan, which is, which is very important. Um, it's how do you actually physically scale hmm. the thing that you have? And then you have access to all of the fortune 500 company resources, including, you know, two gyms on campus, <laughs> uh, cafeterias, real perks. Yeah. Yeah, real perks. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's been outstanding for us. It really has. And what does that cost? Um, it costs a little bit of equity. Okay. Um, and then they give you um, they give you some cash mm -hmm. um, associated with that equity. Um, and then it's a, a year-long commitment. Yeah. Um, we've been there for <laughs> two and a half years okay. and they haven't kicked us out yet. So um, They were like, you're done. We're like, we're going to stay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, like, yeah. we're like, try to kick me out. <laughs> I'm going to go on a podcast. We're just squatting now. Yeah, yeah, so now we're just squatting. Yeah, no, that's that's great, and, that, and that's how you know the partnership is is fruitful, right? And it's not just transactional. And I think that's also very Houston in some ways, um, where uh, you know if the relationship is going well, like we'll find a way to make it work. Yeah, um, that's great. And I think uh, you know, kind of the the, the counterpoint is I, I know, especially from folks outside the oil and gas industry, there's always a concern that that big oil field services companies like would not treat ip well or or where they're competitive it, it can be a real challenge and i think there's um there's a, a notion that that maybe was the old way houston was but i think we you know as a city have recognized you you need to like think about open innovation you need to think about ways to partner 
and um, folks at, at Halberton get it, folks at, at Shell get it. And um, in order for Houston to stay competitive, we, we just have to be founder friendly. Absolutely. Right. And, and, and I assume you see that in other, like just generally throughout the ecosystem. Yeah. You do. I think there's a level of trust that is, I, I don't know, Houston, I've seen a lot of entrepreneurial communities and there's a level of trust in Houston that I haven't seen mm-hmm. in others. Not that there's not bad actors. There's always mm-hmm. bad actors. But we have each other's back. You know, yep. we have each other's back, whether it's a Halliburton having our back or, you know, our, another startup having another startup's back. We help each other out. You know, the whole point is to raise everybody up. So we all benefit from what the future of Houston Innovation Ecosystem mm-hmm. is going to look like. Yeah. It also helps a little bit, too, that your I think your your Houstonian entrepreneurial profile is a little bit different. Um, you know, one of the things that you know, I, I noticed about, you know, nanotech was mm. that we're all parents, you know, we're, mm. we're, we've all, like I said, been around for a minute, you know, like we're, we're a little older. We had a career sometimes in some of those big, you know, institutions before becoming entrepreneurs. And it gives you not only that network, but that ability to see the perspective of what some of these really big organizations, mm-hmm. but also what startups can kind of bring to the table. And so you don't get as kind of mono-focused on, you mm-hmm. know, how to run a business or ultimately when you need help and when to bring in a certain skill set. I think Halliburton in particular, you know, they have some of the best engineers, some of the best, you know, material scientists in the world, you know, so, so there's such a wealth of knowledge mm-hmm. that you can tap there that you'd never be able to, if you were just kind of in your own little, you know, kind of, kind of ecosystem. Um, it just, it really helps you solve problems quickly um, and, and kind of get to that, to that solution and that, that technology fit a lot faster. Yeah. Who are you calling older? <laughs> <laughs> it's messed up, man. <laughs> I think um, very much a, like a, a Houston factor for, mm-hmm. for um, entrepreneurs here. I think uh, people didn't used to think of Houston as an entrepreneurial city, but then you, you realize there, there are energy entrepreneurs everywhere. Mm-hmm. They just don't call themselves entrepreneurs. Right. Uh, but a, a funny thing I, I noticed uh, was a lot of them, I would always have a, a challenge figuring out what they made, primarily because they, they would have vendors and partners and they would just hire it in when they need it, needed it. and and um, there was one entrepreneur I knew who was building like pump systems for the oil field. I don't think they ever touched the product. They were just moving mm-hmm. things, around. things around. They had a you know a separate warehouse. The the guy who made the rotors would ship it to the guy who made the casing, and the guy who mm-hmm. made the casing would ship it to the next station for quality control. Never actually had to touch product because they knew how to go out and kind of build this supply chain and built a nice thirty million dollar little pumping mm-hmm. business, and and didn't necessarily need a, their own factory. Yep. Um and that's a skill set that you build coming out of an energy industry where you think about complex systems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And ultimately his team was thinking about like, how do I actually build a product that meets the customer requirement? Yeah. And it wasn't as important to say, I have to own it all in my, my, my own factory. Yeah. That's right. Um, and, and that's a, a unique ability where we can scale. And as, yeah. and as you've talked about, you've, you've built your business to scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So interesting. Mm-hmm. And, I do definitely agree. Having children is is a thing here in, in Houston. <laughs> is it's you have time for life work life balance, and um, I noticed uh, entrepreneurs in Houston tend to say it's time to go home at three thirty because someone's got to pick up the kids. Yeah. Um, and happy hours do not run beyond seven o'clock. Yeah. Which, is, which yeah, yeah, is the way it is. It's fine. And if the business is falling apart between six thirty and eight thirty, it's going to have to wait because everyone's putting children to bed. Exactly. <laughs> yep. But but I love it because you know Houston's going to have a whole generation of little entrepreneurs. Like so, I have three kids, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they all have the spirit. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my oldest, you know, just came came to me yesterday, and he was you know drawing some pictures. 
And he's like, dad, I have a bunch of kids in my class that want to buy them. <laughs> so I split my equity with my friend Tommy. And, and, and then I, uh, I hired an ad person that only gets a little bit of equity. And they don't care if we print them off. They don't need originals. And then we're selling them for $15 a piece. <laughs> like, that, that's my boy. That's my boy. <laughs> First of all, inflation. Kids have $15, number I know. one. I didn't, I didn't have that. I have like maybe like three quarters. Yeah, exactly. But it's a, it's a whole different area. Maybe they're all just in this innovation economy and they're just all passing money back and forth. But but I, I love it because my sons, my my daughters, they're all, or my daughter, oh my gosh, my daughter, <laughs> don't have, only have one. Um, you know, they, they go into the backyard uh, with me. We do science Sundays where we try to nice. burn stuff. Yep. And it just gets them so fired up, uh, no pun intended, yeah. but like not only on the technology, but, you know, we get them thinking about what it be means to be an entrepreneur mm -hmm. every single time that like we had a horrible setback just like two days ago mm -hmm. where, you know, we thought we were getting a term sheet and mm -hmm. we ended up not getting it. And I was just, oh, it was one of the worst days I've had in a long time, but I, I didn't hold back. So I shared that, mm -hmm. you know, with my kids. Mm -hmm. And so they get to see like, hey, dad's not perfect. You know, dad mm -hmm. just doesn't go hit home runs. Most of it is a struggle. Yeah. Most of it is a grind. And then what's really cool is whenever they struggle or whenever they have problems, you know, they feel, hey, it's okay. You know, it's okay to have the ups and downs of life. And if mm -hmm. dad can, you know, show his emotions and show, you know, the down and share what that actually was, that's what life is. Yeah. And there's no other field more than entrepreneurship that shows you what life really is about. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think the, the the other thing I appreciate being here in this ecosystem is we have entrepreneurs of all stages of life. Um, and uh, it, I think the, the stereotype in, on the coast is you have to either be very young or you're just too old to start a company. Yep. And here, this is this is a, an ecosystem that really spans all generations. It really does. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We're actually on, the I think, the kind of the young end of, of, of entrepreneurs in, in Houston. Yeah. So yeah. I have to make you feel better because I said <laughs> older groups like this. <laughs> I think we're, we're always going to be starting businesses. Yeah. That's kind of the other thing. That's where oh, man, startups always. come from. It comes from founders. Right? Always, so, always. Absolutely. Yeah. Not, not, not the last one for sure. <laughs> so, so when you think about Houston as an ecosystem, what are some kind of hidden gems that, that maybe aren't rising to the surface that you might know about that no one else knows about? Apparently, there's good gyms at Halliburton Labs. So we'll start as, <laughs> there as one of them. What else do you see? Well, I can I can actually talk about one that, that relates actually a little bit to the um, uh, to the product launch mm -hmm. that we just did. Um, went to Mike's point about kind of talking about scaling mm -hmm. um, and moving from that kind of cool technology to bringing it to market. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I found really interesting about Houston is how many kind of partner companies you can find very closely. Mm -hmm. um, so we just launched our our product through a, a nationwide distribution program our very first kind of nationwide distribution launch uh, mm. about six weeks ago now. Um, and we elected to go through a, a, a national network of distributors. Mm. And we found our first one right here in Houston. Wow. I'm actually through the, uh, I was originally I think through the, 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 the Mike's Texas A&M Aggie Network, which mm -hmm. you can talk mm -hmm. about extensively. Um, but, you know, it was, it was interesting because we found this amazing partner who kind of instantly came on with us and, and knew the roofing space really well mm -hmm. and worked with us quite extensively just to take the technology into a space where we could really sound like roofing experts and could kind of come to the mm -hmm. market ready to go. So, you know, I, I think that, again, just speaks back to the helping hand and mm -hmm. the skill set piece mm -hmm. of Houston. Um, partners that are willing to come in very, very early mm -hmm. um, when I think the risk is very high, you mm -hmm. know, and kind of say, 
okay, here's the technology, here's the avenue by which you can commercialize it. Um, so kind of being in that that kind of chief commercial officer space, it was super um, uh, relieving, you mm-hmm. know, for me to kind of to kind of come into a, a role where there were people that had skill sets that I didn't have mm-hmm. that I could kind of lean on for that knowledge and bring my skill set to the fore. And then through that partnership, we could accelerate growth, mm-hmm. you know, which mm-hmm. um, is as is to Mike's point, I think where a lot of startups really struggle. You know, we're we're not hurting for brilliant ideas. We're hurting for the ability for brilliant ideas to mm-hmm. survive. Mm-hmm. Um, as they grow into the market, so that that's that's something I've just found so incredible about this town in particular is is let's let's keep you alive, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. so that you can really kind of kind of grow when you get beyond a thing that you know, which is your own tech, mm-hmm. um, and start actually bringing it into the market. Yeah, I'm I'm curious. It's more academic for me to to ask when when you go through your commercialization plan. How did you know it was a is going through distributors versus building it yourself. And, and, and I know you talked about speed a little bit, but yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll touch on it real quick. So we, we had the opportunity early on to go through, you know, a, a giant mm-hmm. national distributor mm-hmm. where our technology would basically be on the shelf and mm-hmm. then anybody could, you know, pick it up and take it out. Um, you know, there's a lot of money, you know, mm-hmm. that we had to really think about, like, do we want to take the short-term big dollar solution? Mm-hmm. Or do we want to go a little slower? Mm. And it's strange for, for me to say this because I like to go fast as I can. But we took a step back, especially be at once Carrie joined. Um, and so let's take things a little slower. Let's be really good mm. stewards of this technology. Let's not screw it up in the first year. Mm-hmm. Let's make sure you know we have other good stewards of the technology mm. that we can trust, that we can communicate with. And that's what we did. So we took a much slower Mm. approach. So we have about 15, 15 Mm. um, distributors that have uh, and applicators that we trust. They're all part of a trusted Mm. network and the speed of trust that we can get with them. And then the speed of trust then that we can get to the market. We think the trajectory of how we're going to grow is going to be slower at first, but then it will have a very steep incline. And it was tough. It was really mm-hmm. tough. So we had to turn down some short-term money for more of a long-term thinking. And startups, it's very difficult for us to see beyond the period that we're in. Mm-hmm. You know, we're always trying to find that next tailwind. You know, first it's your mom and your dad believing in you. And then, you know, finally, you know, it's friends and family that give you some money. And then, you know, then it's hopefully some venture capital so you don't have to keep on paying everything from your credit mm-hmm. card, right? And we're always looking for those tailwinds and it's very difficult for startups to take a pause and say, what does this next period mm. look like? Mm-hmm. And so I'm always trying to think about what that next period looks like. And the next period for us is really taking over that green building space. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. we would have flopped with our first product launch, we would never realize what that next period yeah. is going to look like. Yeah. It's like it's having that first customer experience was driving like you having confidence that you could control that experience and and make sure it's good because you wanted to want that to be successful. But you also want to make sure that word of mouth, absolutely, that that reputation translates. Yeah, reputation is everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the one of the big things for us was we didn't want to lose sight of Mm. that end customer experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being the manufacturer your B2B, sometimes your B2B2B, mm-hmm. and you can produce an excellent product, but if it's not applied correctly, you're not going to get the end result. And then in the in the, in the the customer reviews, it can be very difficult yeah. to kind of assess is it the product, is it the applicator. 
Uh, so one of our metrics was we basically wanted partners that would mm. ask, act as both distributors and applicators. Mm. You know, so they all have extensive experience in the roofing, contracting, and coatings business. Mm -hmm. And we knew that they would be able to uh, learn our product very quickly and apply it correctly mm -hmm. every time, to Mike's point, because what we have developed is a platform. Mm -hmm. We know once we build that initial base of solid customers that see what we can do through the roof, when we start expanding into mm. the green building space, it's a very warm leap mm. right back mm. into those customers mm. because the data is already proven. You know, mm. now it's just expanding, um, expanding out. Uh, so that that was our that was kind of our thinking behind it. Yeah. Was it hard to convince these uh, distributors and applicators to invest, I guess, in training or know how or what, what was that? Challenge? So, yeah. no. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's good. And that's that good. was actually yeah. my biggest worry was yeah. we were really going to struggle with mm -hmm. with getting people to sign up. Mm -hmm. um, I, I actually remember Mike saying to me, like, because I wanted to do an in-person kickoff day here in Houston mm -hmm. and I scheduled it the day after the Super Bowl, which mm. I'm sorry still to our partners for, for doing that. <laughs> and Mike looked at me and said, you're going to get four people here in Houston. And we had almost 50 show wow. up um, the good. day after the Super Bowl. Um, and I already have a, a bench of additional mm. partners kind of banging mm. down the door saying, hey, when you want to expand the program, we would love to join. Like, mm -hmm. here's our credentials, which has been incredible. It, it, the, the market response to the technology I, I couldn't have dreamed, you know, mm -hmm. I, I couldn't have wished for this in my wildest dreams. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's just been incredible. And the partners are just genuinely amazing people um, that 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 believe in us and are working so hard to bring it to the market. Um, we we really lucked out on that one, kind of just finding really, really excellent partners. We actually didn't luck out. It was really kind of through our original partner, RB Hash. Yeah. Um, here in here in in Houston, that really took that early bet on us and vouched for us. Yeah. And, and the theme of that is Mike's normally wrong and <laughs> Carrie's normally right. So I never bet against her again. <laughs> I should have put money on it. I didn't. <laughs> I said, "Are you sure it's right? Valentine's Day, Super Bowl. Um, all right, let's do it." I was like, "I totally did that on purpose because I yeah. knew when the Super yeah. Bowl was." <laughs> I, I feel like just hearing you talk about it, I keep thinking, "So why did the investor not give you a term sheet?" But you know, I'm, I'm, there's always more. Startup the life. On that. It's a grind. Life. It's, I mean, it sounds like you know, getting that customer buy-in and engagement is 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 the leading indicator. Yeah. And I think that's always the, you know, when, the hardest thing when you when you see and feel product market fit, like it it feels easy, yeah, mm -hmm. right. Um, I hope they're listening. <laughs> <laughs> I and it really resonated with me when you said you you have to have that first good experience with a customer. I think one of the mistakes I made was uh, we were doing rotating machinery. We had a gas turbine with a big pipeline company. Um, had a site located, had endorsement from the VP of engineering. Um, this was out in like Maricopa County in Arizona. I, the thing was running during test trials. We had like seven straight days of continuous running. We installed this thing out there, ran for like 36 hours straight. And we said, great, we're going to make the flight home. Got on the airplane, like literally while we were taking off, the system went down and we couldn't come back for a week because we just didn't book things. We didn't have any of our our um, systems in place. My, my co-founder's wife expected him to be home mm -hmm. and... Um, he ended up having to come back and baby yeah. it for two weeks because we were working out gremlins in the machine. Mm. And it's one of those things where um, I was trying to be cheap at the wrong time. Yes. And, and really should have said, no, we got to we got to have someone on site, uh, you know, contiguously. It was me in versus my co-founder yeah. and, and that not taking that position and that first touch with the customer, I think, really um, set us back yep. because it, 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 mm -hmm. it uh, a lot of the promise a lot of times with products, it's going to work. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so that, that was a big lesson for me. Yeah. Um, 
And I understand. That's like, <laughs> sometimes you got to take it slow to make sure you get the important things right. That's right. Um, yeah. When, when we uh, so back to the topic of Houston, when we think about Houston as an ecosystem, uh, you, Mike, you talked about how it's really evolved in the last eight years. But what's still missing? What do we still need to build? Yes. So I'll, I'll go back to your, I'll answer that in a second. I want to go back to the hidden gems. Mm. So what's happening oh, yeah. <laughs> is there's a lot of like underground entrepreneurs that are getting together and, you know, doing things together and then for Houston. So mm. we formed a group about three years ago called Entrepreneurs Anonymous. Okay. And it's all CEOs of startups here in Houston. Mm. And one of our primary functions is not only to help each other out, but to see Houston, you know, raise up. And we strategically do things kind of behind the scenes mm. to make that happen. And you have a lot of little pockets mm. of, of that happening. So if you're a new entrepreneur and you're looking for those gyms, like you got to find those little pockets and it creates such a tight knit mm. group of people that not only help you when you, you know, you're feeling down because being an entrepreneur is lonely. It mm. is really lonely. Um, it's stressful. It affects your personal life. It affects every mm. aspect of it. And not everybody understands that, right? Not mm. everybody understands that other than other entrepreneurs. Yep. And so to have support systems is really important. And there are a lot of little gems and little groups actually um, happening right now. So that's one of, of your gym question. And then what needs to happen? Um, venture capital need to step up. Mm. So mm -hmm. we, so the venture capital traditionally here in Houston are more looking at, you know, oil and gas assets. So you have an oil and gas asset, you know, exactly what it's going to produce, you know, exactly what it's going to cost, et cetera. A lot of those, a lot of those venture capitals are trying to make the transition into kind of tech startup. Mm -hmm. And it is very difficult for them to make that transition. Mm -hmm. They want to see, Hey, what's your EBITDA going to be next year? I'm like, EBITDA, I don't even know what that means. Like, <laughs> And that whole mindset that yeah. we have to shift that mindset with the money that's here in Houston. So you have a lot of family offices and then you have a lot of private equity that have traditionally invested in traditional oil and gas and they have to make the transition. So we're going through our series A mm -hmm. and unfortunately we're getting a lot of interest and term sheets from the East coast mm -hmm. and the West coast. And they're the ones trying to come in into Houston and to art, you know, in, which is great because that's where the money is at, mm. the, at the moment. But we have so much opportunity within the venture capital community here in Houston to invest in Houston startups. Mm. Um, and so I don't want the money coming from the East Coast and the West Coast. I want the VCs to step up here in Houston and take a bet on not EBITDA, but take a bet on people and, you know, awesome technology that's coming out. So until that happens... Um, you know, we're going to go a lot slower than we, you know, potentially could. And it's happening, you know, it's happening, especially with the corporate venture capital. They're spending, you know, mm -hmm. quite a bit of money um, in this space. But until we have like true, true hard venture capitals that are investing in physical things, uh, Houston will continue to lag. Yeah. And, and I think that's a real challenge. Uh, the, uh, the corporate venture capital doesn't want to come early, right? They want to figure mm -hmm. out how to deploy $10 million at a time. Exactly. And, and doesn't necessarily solve that seed series mm -hmm. A challenge. Um, and I hear you when I, I was fundraising, gosh, 2014, probably around the same time we're out uh, hitting the markets a lot at the same time. Um, I remember the early stage investors liked oil and gas, like leases, they liked real estate. And interestingly enough, consumer packaged food drinks, yep. Yep. right? And and I think it was a lot of the you, you could project cash flow. Mm -hmm. And it's just a different mindset here. Um, and I think the the venture capitalists 
in some ways need to bet on people. They also need to bet on market trends. Like we we know the, ener- the energy transition is going to be here. We know that there's going to be investment in green buildings. Take a position, build a portfolio, mm-hmm. right? If you have a portfolio of of uh, green materials and uh, you, you think about it as a venture portfolio, like, you know, some of them are not going to uh, generate the EBITDA you want. Mm-hmm. But if you you bet on that vertical and, and you know, three out of 10 are going to do well, that's just portfolio building. Right? It is. I, I think I would just add to that. We used to have a saying in my mm-hmm. former consulting life that uh, everybody wants a, the, a first time new idea with two proven case studies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that just doesn't exist. Yeah. You know, it, it just yeah. doesn't. And, and the energy transition, it especially doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. You know, the energy transition is going to be messy. It's going to be risky. It's going to have business models that do not look mm-hmm. like the business models we've had previously. You know, and it's going to require different modes of thinking. And we don't have time. Mm-hmm. For it to take 40 years yeah. for people to get around to that realization, you know, mm-hmm. so that there's, I, I can, I can, I can see it because there is so much vibrant energy mm-hmm. in this town, in the startup community of people that really want to solve this problem and want to do it like tomorrow mm-hmm. quickly and have brilliant ideas, you know, and, and sometimes you see those brilliant ideas die on the vine. Um, because it can't necessarily get fit in, you know, like fit into a, a very traditional kind of growth business model. It, it requires a new mode mm-hmm. of thinking, you know, and I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. That's where we need to expand, you know, and, yeah. and think a little differently, take a little risk and go. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think, uh, when we think about, um, nationally, like the, 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 the dynamics that are happening with like IRA and just general investment in climate. How do you think that's um, going to change the way we think in Houston? Can I offer one thought on that? Yeah. I think one of the things that's frustrated me the most mm-hmm. about that dynamic nationally has been that it it, it seems like there's always climate and market. Mm. You know, and whenever the markets start to get volatile, climate has to kind of take oh, a yeah. back seat because we have to fix the economy. I I think that's a completely wrong way to mm-hmm. to look at it. Um, innovation happens when you see market potential in problem solving, Mm. you know? So one of the things that drew me to nanotech was that it bridged those two things Mm. together and it can Mm. say, I I can solve a market challenge for you. I can reduce your OPEX while simultaneously pushing you forward in, in your climate challenge, which is Mm. reducing your scope one emissions, you know? And, and that comes from the clashing of two necessities. Mm. I would like to see the national conversation bring those two together and say, how do we create greater energy security, Mm -hmm. stronger market resilience, and a better economy by leaning into the energy transition and all of the ancillary implications that that means. And we need everybody. We need big corporates. Mm. We need oil and gas. We need every single type of industry to get involved quickly and to not see these as two dichotomous worlds, but actually a single thing um, that could require the same investment mm-hmm. and and propel solutions forward faster. Do, I mean, do we feel that it wasn't necessarily profitable in the past? Or uh, what's creating the shift in mindset? Is it because there's demand that's new? Or is it because we recognize if we think about the whole cost in the system, it is it is profitable or it is better to have a more resilient uh, ecosystem or a more efficient solution? Like what what do you think is changing the mindset? I think it's people. I gotta, yeah. yeah, I got to be honest. I, I think the, the biggest bellwether for me on that was during COVID mm. when you saw like a lot of the, the climate debate did not slow down, you mm. know, because if you look historically at previous shut you know kind of kind of kind of shutdowns or or you, you kind of you can kind of follow the waves of like yeah. 
Uh, and and then the, during COVID, it didn't. Mm-hmm. It didn't slow at all. You know, I, I think there's a there's a new generation coming up. There's there's more pressure from the end consumer, from the from the end market, mm-hmm. saying, um, you know, if if you talk to the generation below us, like this is an existential crisis. Yeah. This isn't something that we need to think about. It's an existential crisis that bleeds into every other decision that you make in life. Um, and I think that that's starting to impact the larger market. That's my answer. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I can't follow that. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm. I'm probably a little bit more, um, yeah, just kind of a little softer, mm-hmm. meaning I don't have all the data points that Carrie does, yeah. but, you know, having kids mm-hmm. and thinking about what the future for them looks like um, is really my driver, right? So yeah. I, I view the future of energy as a mosaic. You know, oil and gas is always going to be a part of that mosaic, but then there's going to be pieces in that mosaic energy equation Mm -hmm. that are going to be equally, if not more important. Mm -hmm. And when you have that lens, you know, you want to have a wide lens, you don't, you know, I don't think, um, you know, the people that are pushing green energy Mm -hmm. or oil and gas oftentimes have Mm -hmm. that wide lens. And if we just say, Hey, all forms of energy are really important in this mosaic of energy, then how do we all come together and you know fill the pieces of that potentially beautiful picture that we can do? Mm, now politics, nice. yeah, yeah, politics get in you know in in the way, um, but at the end of the day, you know we all want the world to be a little bit better spot for mm. our kids. And because now I think especially our generation mm. has heard you know heard the energy crisis and then is now doing something about it the future generation really get to benefit from mm-hmm. it. And I mean, just it, it's all personal for us, right? It's personal for me. I want to make my kids have just a little better, mm-hmm. you know, planet than, than I had, or a little better, um, you know, uh, way to be either entrepreneurs around this or, you know, experience life just a little bit better. And I think that's what we all want for our kids. And so to me, it's very personal just because it's mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. So everything I do is for them. Yeah. 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 I um I love the mosaic image, so I'm still stuck on that, and, and, and I'm thinking in many ways that the discussion is we we talk about energy transition. The reality is is energy addition, it's diversification. Mm-hmm. Um, the the traditional forms of energy never really f- fully go away, and, and I think we we recognize that here, and we say okay, now let's move on to get the new technology out the door in in terms of being Houstonians. Yeah. Um, and, and what's yeah. sorry, what's great for us yeah. is, you know, we're agnostic yep. to the form of energy. So the, the, the piece of the equation that we play in is we just reduce energy consumption exactly. yeah. and we make the CO2 emissions go down. So we're completely agnostic and everybody can agree that, you know, using being more efficient with the energy that you have mm-hmm. is always a good thing. Yeah. And that's why I love kind of the sweet spot where we're at. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, uh, Carrie, what I heard you say is you, you don't necessarily, you didn't say this, but I, I think the conclusion you would come at is it, it doesn't seem like there's a, a huge compromise to be made between uh, balancing access to energy and decarbonization. Correct. We're just going to do that all at once. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I believe in innovating your way out of problems. Yeah. I, yeah. The less conflict and the more innovation we have, then I think the faster we speed to solutions. It's one of the reasons I love Houston. It's one of the reasons mm-hmm. I'm an entrepreneur here mm-hmm. and not you know, in any other, other city in the world. Yeah. So, uh, unfortunately we are getting close to the end of time, so we're going to start wrapping up, but sure. I got to ask the most important question because now it's possible. <laughs> um, if, if you could bring back a, a prehistoric or extinct animal, um, to in some ways reverse the, the concepts of, of climate change, what would it be? 
Ooh, to reverse climate change. I don't know. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a symbol that we reversed it. If That's you could bring it back, symbol. let's put it that way. My, my daughter is obsessed with dinosaurs and mm -hmm. her favorite dinosaur is the Triceratops, mm -hmm. which is probably a terrible idea to bring back into modern society. But I, I think for her sake, if I could bring one back, I would bring back the Triceratops. Ooh, that's tough. Um, <laughs> see, the megalodon was that's in the ocean, right? I'm gonna go with yes, the giant I, shark. I know that. Yeah. The giant shark. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so so I, I would bring that one back so that it would scare everybody not to pollute the ocean. I, <laughs> I would. I would never go okay. in the ocean again. We'd bring back honest. the megalodon, but we'd engineer him to eat microplastics. Okay. There okay. we go. There yes. we go. That's, that's, that's the solution. The just open up the giant mouth. And, yeah. Yeah. Me just like yeah, the big the the floating garbage patch. They could just slowly eat that away. Yes. There you that, go. that would solve that problem. Yeah. yeah. It's a good I, business idea. As, as <laughs> I mean, yeah, that would probably get funded before nano. That would get extremely funded very quickly. Plastic eating sharks. Yes. Hear us out. Yeah, there you go. It's better than sharks with lasers. Yeah. So, you know. yeah, yeah. Is it or both? <laughs> the lasers might melt the plastic. There you go. <laughs> if we can bring back the woolly mammoth, surely we could make plastic eating sharks. I feel like yes. the technology exists. I did go into a rabbit hole on Reddit did find an entire thread on which dinosaur would make the best like farm animal as an alternative to cows. Do not remember exactly which animal it was, but Triceratops did not make the top of the list. It's probably the horns. It, I think it was more to do with um, how long it takes to like become an adult is actually a driving mm, very uh, factor for cattle. Caloric intensive, yeah. Yeah, if a, if, a, if a cow took 10 years to mature versus two years, would you still use a cow? That's yeah. kind of the question. So I, very so interesting, I, very nerdy. I grew up I grew up on a cattle ranch. I can okay. tell you it takes a lot of energy and a lot of money to raise a cow 10 years. So yes, yes. that is true. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Same with children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, have you tried kids? They're also very expensive. <laughs> Oh, man. So when we think about our audience, um, what's one thing they could do to, to support you guys um, over the next 18 months? Yeah. Uh, so first of all, I would I would say if uh, in from a business perspective, you know, if you are a commercial business owner and you're interested in reducing your scope one emissions, we would love to talk to you uh, about our product portfolio. Uh, we, You know, you can contact us at info at the nanoshield.com, um, 1-800-NANO. Mm -hmm. um, my name's Carrie. You can also contact me at Carrie at the nanoshield.com. Um, uh, I would also just say, uh, if you're involved at all in the Houston entrepreneurial community, uh, lift mm -hmm. up your fellow startup, introduce them to somebody, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. introduce them to an investor. Um, Mike, you want to take that one? Yeah, I, I think just kind of love on each other, right? Mm -hmm. I know it sounds pretty soft, but um, I think Houston has that love for each other. And so there's nothing necessarily I, I think I want for nanotech, but I want it for Houston. Mm -hmm. And just help your, you know, help the entrepreneurs, you know, next door out, you know, make that introduction, you know, set up that meeting. Um, we can all, you know, there's all, always ways that we can help each other out. And Houston has to be a top five city because I keep on saying it over and over and over again. <laughs> yep. And so just love on each other. That's what, yeah. we, that's what we do well. Good. Well, thank you both for being here. This is fantastic. Thanks yeah, for having thanks us. Thanks for having us.